0: This January, over 750 OA members gathered in Los Angeles for OA's 50th birthday party. Events included keynote speakers, multiple long-timer panels, workshops, a big book boot camp, and even an appearance by Roseanne S. If you'd like CDs or MP3s of any or all of these sessions, go to OA50th.org and then follow the link to the recordings. That's oa 50thoa 50thorg Welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Colleen. Thank you very much. Good evening, everyone. My name is Colleen. I'm a compulsive reader. Hi, I'm going to go ahead and pass around my pictures. Thank you very much, Lucy, for asking me to be of service tonight. It's an honor and a privilege. And I welcome very much to the newcomers and congratulations to the chip takers and the birthday people. You guys are what make the meetings fun. <laughs> Not only because we will get to hear how we sing, which is always fun, but. Um, <laughs> To get the numbers out of the way, to qualify, I've been abstinent uh, just over seven years. Let's see, today's December 5th, so it's uh seven years and four months. My top weight when I came in these rooms was 307 pounds, so I'm maintaining 160-pound weight loss as a result of this program, one day at a time, thank God. One of the things that... Um, and I know they can't see this, but you guys get to. My sponsor that I worked with for many, many years told me to do was to keep a piece of my clothing. She said if you're ever too tired to work your program, they're waiting for you. So I have my size 24 jeans that I, I keep in my car <laughs> just in case I need something. And they are. They're here for me um, as a reminder. And uh, if I ever get too tired, I can always, always wear them again. Thankfully, one day at a time, I don't have to do that. I'm probably going to be all over the place, so I'm just going to tell you that right now. So, in general, in terms of what it used to be like, we all know what it used to be like. It was horrible. It was demoralizing. It was defeating. It was depressing. It was sad. It was lonely. It was horrible. And the funny part about it is that I had no idea. (laughs) Because I was drugged. Really. I am a drug addict when it comes to food. I have my particulars, but I am an addict when it comes to food. My idea of the ideal state is just sort of be flatlined. If they could have put it in a syringe and I could have hooked it up through the arm, I would have. You know, in some cases today, like, I still think if I could just take a pill three times a day, it would be so much easier. (laughs) But that's not it, you know, and that's not how it was meant to be. So I I have to believe that that's how it's supposed to be. But food did a lot of things for me. It kept me quiet. It uh, kept me protected. You know, carrying all that extra weight was a nice way of saying, back off. And uh, a nice way of saying, I don't know how to say no, or how to say, you know what, that's not safe for me. So I'm going to carry lots of extra weight so that I can pretend like I love you and I'm all okay with, uh, you know, being all huggy and touchy and whatever with you. Well, really, I'm not. Um, food kept me checked out. You know, really allowed me to kind of not be present in the moment. Um, you know, everybody has their story, and what I've learned is that the story isn't so much important. It's, you know, I should say, what whatever happened to get me here is rather inconsequential because it's it's the fact that it got me here that's most important. My story in particular, I just never felt safe, never ever felt safe. I never really knew why, never really knew why I felt uncomfortable. You know, I had the whole experience of like always feeling like I was on the outside looking in. Everybody was participating in life. I had this whole sort of life fantasy. Things were going to get better tomorrow. You know, I mean, I remember lying in bed at night probably after eating some sort of sugar concoction. Like going, I know, like tomorrow it'll be better you know, and I'm not somebody who did a lot of dieting, I just, because there was no hope in that, like, I, first of all, I can never go that long without my drug, I just couldn't, you know, I mean, I do remember very particularly a couple of years before I came into program, this chiropractor I was seeing, I had some sort of dizzy spells going on, he handed me this sort of list of foods to, to eat, you know, and basically it was like no flour, no sugar, I didn't know that, but... And, you know, when you are you can't see straight, you're desperate, right? So you'll do anything. So I was like, all right, whatever. After about three or four days, all I know is I'm back in his office. I'm crying while I like, I can't do this. You know, like, and he's like, whoa. <laughs> you know, because he's normally, he's like, I right, just go back to how you were eating. Like, he didn't know what to do. And I didn't know I didn't know that's what it was, you know, because literally I just like stripped off the oxygen mask and was like, you know, and I could not function because food was not a normal thing for me. It will never be a normal thing for me, and and I've gotten that, and that's one of the huge gifts that for me has come from from this program, is that I get that I will never be normal around food, and I'm totally okay with that today, for today. So, you know, I will never have a a normal relationship. So, I, it's so funny, like, I had two feelings before I I came into the program. Hungry and fine. (laughs) And I don't know if anybody's ever heard the uh, acronym for fine. I won't say it because it's vulgar. But anyways... It involves eating. So, you know, it, it, the thing is, is that, like, those were the only two. And I might have might have known uncomfortable, you know. But if you had asked me if I was an angry person, I would have said, no, I never get angry. Not outwardly. You know, I just implode. <laughs> like, I'm really angry at you, so I'm going to eat myself to death. You yeah, know, that's how it works. I, you know, because I had no frame of reference for healthy emotions, I kind of knew the positive emotions were good, but even those, you're not supposed to get too excited. You know, don't get too excited. Even to this day, some, sometimes I have to write myself, no, this is something to get excited about, Colleen. It's like, okay, get excited. You know? Because my whole thing is like, well, I don't know what's going to happen when the da da that? I'm like, down the road. I can't even just be right here, right now. And, um, that's where I, where I go a lot of times. So I'm a little bit off kilter sometimes when it comes to emotions. But I have to say something. Really miraculous happened for me this last uh, week. I spent Thanksgiving with with my immediate family, which in and of itself is a huge miracle. (laughs) But the miracle on top of that, oh, you have no idea. (laughs) The miracle on top of that is that while there were a lot of it, I was a little uncomfortable and I was kind of awkward, I didn't spend it thinking about food the whole time. And see, to me, that's a miracle because it meant that I was already present to what I was feeling. See, for me, food is an indication these days. It's an indication that I'm feeling something. I'm no longer under the demise that, like, I'm hungry for something. Like, I love it when one of my sponsors goes, well, I felt like having this. And I think, no, you felt. Therefore, you should have this. Like, because I don't know about them, but that's how my brain works, you know. Like, I never, you know, and I would always say that when it came to eating. Well, I feel like eating this. And i yeah, I'm feeling. So, therefore, I want to eat this. You know, like there's always been a direct correlation. Like I remember this therapist when I was really young. I went to, I started out early. <laughs> I don't know, I was like 12 or something like that. And she was like, do you think you eat over feelings? And I was like, no. Because I didn't have any feelings. So what was there to be eating over? And then I remember a couple of days later, I was angry about something. And I was sitting at lunch going, yeah, I'm eating over the man." You know, like, but I had no no concept of what that was all about. So my way of dealing with life and and taking the edge off, which is another thing food did for me, was to eat. You know, I basically, the the reality was I could not wait to get my hands on drugs and alcohol. I I needed something fast. I needed something early because life got really ugly really early on. So, you know, and food worked. And so as long as the food worked, I didn't need those other things. But I've always had that sort of addict quality in me because I remember very distinctly having a glass of wine when I was like 10. You know, it was the holidays, we were allowed to have wine, the kids could have wine. And I remember drinking it thinking, I like this a little too much, I should probably stay away from it. See, because like that was, you know, like naughty girls drank and partied and stuff like that. Nice girls just get fat. Really. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's about the gist of it. You know, I mean, and don't take this the wrong way, but fat people are some of the nicest people I know. Like and you know, some of the most angry people and I'm speaking of myself and everything else. But like you know, in general, like, Jeff I noticed uh, as a former teacher that a lot of us were very heavy set. A lot of people in service positions are very heavy set, And so it's like, you know, we're very caring of everybody around us except for ourselves, and that was definitely the case for me. Because my motto in life, my motto, was sort of like, as long as everybody else is taken care of, you can roll over me with an 18-wheeler. I'm fine. I've got a pizza and some cookie dough on the side. You know, so it was like no problem whatsoever. I can handle life because as long as, you know, the pizza hut guy was on the phone. I'm good. <laughs> I remember once I was um I was probably like two years in the program or whatever, and I'd hit I'd come up against some a wall with something, and I was on the phone with my sponsors. Yes, because it said to me, "Well, Colleen, you can call Domino's." I was like, "Oh, you know." She's like, "Well, you can." I was like, "Damn it!" Because you know that's what that means when you're like, "Oh crap!" So what do I got to do? You know, I got to work the steps. So basically. I used food for all those things, not knowing that I was doing any of that. I didn't think I had a problem with food. When I came into these rooms seven years ago, over seven years ago, I came in because I was uncomfortable on body. I didn't come in because I wanted to lose weight. That was not something. I had resigned myself that I was going to be a fat person. That was my lot in life. Like some people are confined to a wheelchair. Some people have a lisp. I was supposed to be fat, you know, and it was very character building okay it taught me compassion it taught me understanding it taught me how to deal with adversity it did it taught me all of those things I was resentful and angry about that but that was a whole other story okay you know I looked at those sort of character building qualities so it was not on my radar to lose weight so the fact that I stand here in front of you as a woman in a healthy body weight who's been this way for about five years is a complete and total miracle and nothing I ever had planned whatsoever So it goes to show me that my plans are very, very small. God's plans are much, much bigger in a tiny body. (laughs) So when I came in, um, I didn't know what all this stuff was about. I'd been to one OA meeting once when I was in college. That was when I had reached the phase, the FU phase of my food, where I had just given up on trying to eat nice in front of other people, and then just eat bad, i just given up the whole, I was like, forget it, I'm fat, y'all know I'm fat, I'm just eating whatever I want in front of you, not in front of you, I really didn't care, you know, um, that was another thing I did with food, I used it to say F you, yeah, that really did a lot for them, so, you know, it's, it's, so when I, like I said, when I came in, I just was really uncomfortable, and y'all, y'all talked a bunch of mumbo jumbo, and I was like, okay, whatever, I mean, it really was like this foreign language, but you're so nice. You're so nice. And you were like, keep coming back. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And I, like I said, I was in college. I had been to one OA meeting, and I walked in, and these women were, there were four women there, and they were talking about food. And I thought, well, heck, I think about food all the time. I want need to talk about it. And I left. I clearly need to gain another 100 pounds before I was ready. So when I came in at over three hundred pounds, really uncomfortable in my body, was at the suggestion of a therapist—not the same one I went to when I was a kid—had progressed, and I thought, all right, you know, she thought I might sort of like the camaraderie, or I don't know what she thought, but I um, think <laughs> she thought it might help. So. I sat in the rooms, and they said to go to six meetings to decide if this for you. And, I, and that was one suggestion that I have for the newcomers, definitely, um, is to go to six meetings before you decide. Because the very first meeting I went to some anorexic chick line. And I was like, sweetheart, not eating is not the problem. <laughs> you know <laughs> I mean she was really great I mean, you no know, she was she was fabulous she actually sat down with me after the meeting and talked to me and she knew like I mean she knew because we all we know each other right and she was like I, don't worry she's like go to some other meetings she, she knew I'd see people that I could identify with but she talked about this thing about bowl of pasta and how she ate less pot and I was like what like you know it didn't make sense but I was like alright I can do the six meetings so then I went to another meeting the next morning and I went to a meeting that night and when I walked into that room they had the steps and the traditions on the walls and I went, Huh. Because I saw God in every single one of those and I went, Huh, what do you know? Now I come from a faith background and a religious background that I had practiced since I was really young. It was one that I got with my family. It was one in which I had a relationship with a power greater than myself that I would consider sort of a friendship. The funny thing was is I never included God in that in that food stuff. Because I just thought that was something I was supposed to be able to take care of. And uh, people would tell me that, you know, well, if you just did this or if you just did that. And I'd look at them and go, yeah, if I could, I would. But, I, you know, like, again, they were talking to me like a normal person. You know, like a normal person, they put on a few pounds, they eat less. (laughs) I'm like, you what? Like, no, 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 that's like ripping, like, you know, my skin off. What do you mean you're going to eat less? You know, like. I have a weight range that I stay in, and whenever I go above it, which isn't too often, I have to pull back, and usually I pull back on my carbs, and every time I'm always like, I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm still here, <laughs> you know, but I'm always like, I'm going to die, because my my relationship to food is not normal, you know? And, you know, that's one of the things that I really love in the, in the big book, um, in Chapter 3, It talks about, more about alcoholism, and and this is, I just want to read this because it just was so key for me early on in program. It says, the idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking, eating, is the great obsession of every abnormal eater. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were compulsive overeaters. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. And I don't know how recently any of you have smashed anything, but I always think of a vase or a vase, whatever you call it. And when you smash that sucker and you go to put it back together and you put the water in, like, it doesn't work, right? So the idea that I'm going to be normal around food someday is about as effective as that vase is going to be in holding water and flowers, okay? It's just not going to happen. And you know what? It's okay. And I'm totally okay with that. So when I came in, um, like I said, I saw God, and and so I stuck around because y'all were really nice, and these two women came up to me, and they're like, you're really beautiful, and I thought, you're on crack, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I was like, thanks, you know, like I did so many things, thank you, and I wouldn't tell you what I was really thinking, so I kept coming, and, and there was a certain piece in the room, you know, and, and I got with a sponsor, had what I wanted, <laughs> what did she have, she was a grandmother, she, and I eventually wanted to be married and have a family, <laughs> So that was my criteria, and, and she was a healthy body weight, and she seemed to have a peace about her or whatever, and she was really nice, and she sat down with me, and we met a couple different times. She's like, call me whenever you want, so what I do, I never called her, because I didn't want to bother her. See, my whole motto in life was like, I don't want to bother you, I don't want to trouble you, I don't, you know, like, please, you know, nobody cares what I think, nobody cares what I have to say, da, 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 da. Okay, these were the, the tools I was using to get through life. So at about five months, four or five months, I was sitting in a meeting, and this really dynamic speaker came in, and she's talking. And, I, and she basically looked at me after me, and she was like, sweetheart, you're trying to do this program on your own. I thought, well, why not? I've done everything else in my life on my own. Why wouldn't I do this? But I, it was killing me, you know? And so she hooked me up with somebody else, And I had to call this woman every day at a certain time, and I had to start working my steps, and I was going to about three meetings a week. And this woman had, first of all, she was such a gift because she was the first person who suggested that I tell her what I ate or tell someone. And, you know, that's that's a really big deal. i got to be honest. Even to this day, I don't like talking about what I eat. I don't like telling people what I eat. I don't, you know, like, why? It's very private. It's, you know, whatever. It's like... It is what it is. And so I agreed to call someone at the end of the day and say what I had eaten. And I did that for a little while. And in about six months, she suggested to me that maybe I stop eating recreational sugar. And I thought, all right, I can do that for a little bit. You know, I was Catholic. She said, give it up for Lent. I thought, well, I've done that before. And, you know, I've given up certain things for Lent. And the first thing that I noticed is that my mind was much calmer. And I went, oh, this is kind of nice, you know. And uh, after the 40 days were over, I had some of my typical sort of sugar. And for the first time in my life, okay, I was 28 when I came to program. So that means for at least, given probably 25 years, for the first time in my life, I felt what that sugar was doing to my body. And it was the most disgusting thing I'd ever felt. And I was like, ooh. And I just thought back to the amount of times I would just shovel it in and not think and not let it, and I was like, oh, do not like this. And for that reason, I never went back to it. And then later on, I added it to my absence. My abstinence, by the way, is three meals a day, nothing in between, two snacks is necessary. A snack for me is a piece of fruit or a cup of fruit. Or if I don't have a cup, then I use two handfuls. My own hands, not super-sized hands. <laughs> um, <laughs> although sometimes I wish I had somebody else's hands. But anyway. And then I don't have... Uh, I've since added recreational sugar... Uh, deep-fried flour tortilla shells, bubble and fruity chewing gum, slurpees, and I, I think that's it. So, But those were things that were added after time. But for me, having that bracket, that definition around, the, like, time frame structure around when I was eating was really, really important, and I did that for the first um, long while. And so in the beginning, it was three binges a day. Because I needed to know that I was going to be able to make it between breakfast and lunch, between lunch and dinner, between dinner and breakfast without dying. Because, again, food is life to me. So so that was, it was simple to work in it. But, you know, the second sponsor that I had was such a gem because before I got to the point of giving up the sugar... I'll never forget, she was sitting in her car one night after a meeting, and she goes, Just tell me what you're going to eat for dinner. And I said, Okay, I'm going to go to Ralph's, and I'm going to get a thing of the fried chicken, and I'm going to get some peanut butter and chocolate cookie dough, and I'm going to have half the batch. And she said, Okay. Who does that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, there's the, like if one of my I mean, I don't know what her real reaction was, but she just looked at me and said, Okay. But see, that was such a gift, that acceptance, because she. She somehow knew. I don't know how she knew. I mean, maybe it's like every night I said that to her. But somehow she knew that it, that I would then come to a point where I'd be willing to let go of it. Because that's the thing. is, It's like you get to it when you get to it. You know, if somebody tried to force it on me or told me I couldn't have, it just it wouldn't have worked. You know, and even when she suggested the idea of going away from recreational sugar, it was a suggestion. You <laughs> know, those suggestions. But... But I was open enough to hear it, and I was open enough to hear it because I had enough time in between not eating, you know, time frames when I wasn't eating, and I had enough program in my head to to be open, you know, and that's that's really key for me. So, unfortunately, part of what happened is when I stopped eating sugar, a lot of the repressed memories that I had of being molested by my father came up. So I then promptly hit a wall, and by the way, you can eat all kinds of crap <laughs> when you're not eating sugar. So I didn't really lose any weight. I lost about 25 pounds when I gave up the sugar. But what I realized at that point was that I was using food to protect me. And a few months later, I was sitting in a meeting, and I realized that I wasn't protecting me from what I thought it was protecting me from. And so at that point, I was like, all right, I'm done. Now, what got me to that point, I'm not entirely sure. I know there's a prayer that I had started to say a couple months before, which I still say every day, which is God remove from me my will and place in me your will. Give me the power and the courage to carry it out. That's the only thing I had done differently in that two months previous. And I decided at that point that I I was done and I wanted the weight off. And so I got a new sponsor. I started going to like five to seven meetings a week. I planned my food out a week in advance. I called her every day. I worked my steps. I wasn't allowed to date for the first year. I had to be of service. I prayed and meditated every day, uh, all the myriad of things she'd asked me to do. And then over the next basically 18 months, I lost the rest of the weight. I get a little tunnel vision sometimes. (laughs) Some people say, oh, you lose the weight the way the men lose the weight. Sorry. But for me, a lot of my, my emotional... Um, and spiritual recovery has come in when I reach that level of maintenance because I couldn't mess around anymore. And for whatever reason, that's how it was for me. I reached that that maintenance level, and then it was like, okay, I have this range I have to stay in, so I can't be playing around with my food, you know. Or I can't do the dance of like, well, I'm still trying to lose weight or whatever. And it really sort of the rubber hit the road, and, and that's where a lot of my recovery, has come in terms of the step work and in terms of my emotional and spiritual recovery. And so what I get today as a gift of working in this program and of having that range that I I stay in, and I'm accountable to that, I get on the scale once a week, whether I like it or not, whether I want to or not. And by the way, I don't do this stuff because I feel like doing it. (laughs) I do this stuff because my life depends upon it. And because the life that depends upon it is a beautiful life, one day at a time if I live it. And it's much bigger and much grander than the one that I had in mind. Because uh, the one I had in mind was pretty limited. And I'm pretty sure it involves a pizza and half a batch of cookie dough and me on the couch somewhere. So what I do on a daily basis to recover is I have my prayer and meditation time that I do every morning. And, you know, that usually involves some sort of writing, reading of some kind of literature, and a time of quiet where I just sit. And that started out really small. I started out with, like, two minutes, and I would just be quiet for, like, two minutes. And it didn't matter what came through my head or what didn't go through my head. I wasn't looking for this, like, ultimate, like, zen thing. It was just the commitment of the time. One of the things that I find is really, really key for me and others who i found have been successful in this program is consistency. You know, and the moment I want to not do it, because, oh, I have to do that again, is the moment I need to do that. Because I had to fight for my right to be uncomfortable. It says in step seven that pain is the admission price to new life. So if I want a new life, it means I gotta have some pain. But what I get is that the, the little pain that I'm willing to sit through or move through is always so much smaller. And so much less painful than I think it's going to be Because my mind, like you mentioned the idea of pain I'm like, oh, I want to run the other direction, you know I always make it out to me much Because I got this fear-mongering machine in my brain And it makes up all kinds of great stories And how terrible it's going to be I mean, I really could write award-winning dramas With some of the things that come on through my head Oh, and the conversations that we have that we never have. I mean, like, please, oh my goodness It's just this addict mind, this negative thinking that I'm addicted to. And, you know, through working in the 12 steps one day at a time, I get to think differently and I get to see differently. And that is a huge miracle to me. Um, It's not a small miracle that I walk through life at a healthy body weight one day at a time. It's not a small miracle that I don't sit around with a lot of anger and resentment. It's not a small miracle that I had Thanksgiving with my family last whatever Thursday, including my father. It's not. It's a huge deal. You know? That level of forgiveness, that level of acceptance is entirely God. That is not me. I am simply not capable of that level. You know? It continues to blow my mind. It continues to blow my mind. And to do all those things and to not have to throw myself away. See, I thought it was one or the other. See, I thought if I was to be forgiving and understanding that that meant that I wouldn't count. But what I get is that we all count, you know. Um, One of the things that, that I've really gotten a true sense of in working these steps is that, you know, they talk about the humility is that you're one among many. And I get that I'm one among many, and that we're one. So the things that I do today don't just affect me, because I'm an addict at my core, so I'm selfish and self-centered, so I'm, like, in this little, like, thing. But the things I do affect you as well. doesn't mean I'm responsible for you, but I have to be responsible for how I carry myself in the world. And that means that I have to, each day, to the best of my ability connect to the power greater than me because that power greater than me has a better sense of how everything else is going because i can't control all that stuff i can't be in charge of all that stuff all i can do is what's right in front of me and trust that if this is where my higher power has brought me this is where i'm supposed to be so this is where my intention needs to be this is where my love needs to be this is where my acceptance needs to be this needs to be where my forgiveness is in this moment right here now And when I do that, then that's where I find my joy, it's where I find my happiness, it's where I find my peace, it's where I find my serenity. Whenever I step away from where I am, I have fear, I have anxiety, I have worry, I have anger, um, resentment, all those other things come into play. But when I stay right here in this moment, that very moment that I was always so uncomfortable being in, it's... It's beautiful. I mean, just like the sign back there says, Life is beautiful. It really is. And I can look people in the eye, and I can stand up straight, and I don't have to rely upon you to tell me who I am anymore, because I know who I am. I know who I am in God. I know who I am in the world. And some days that works really well. Other days it's a little bit more of a struggle. Some days it's really hard, sometimes it's really easy, but I only have to do it one day at a time, and sometimes I only have to do it one moment at a time. You know, like, I am one of the experiences I had, because and I've always chewed a lot of gum, but it seemed to get proportionally greater <laughs> at some point there in my instance. And it got to a point where it was really kind of silly. And so the sponsor that I have now gently suggested, <laughs> don't you love those suggestions, that maybe I not chew as much gum. And so that was the process in which I let go of chewing fruity and, and bubble gum. I still reserve my my right to maybe one day chew men gum. But anyways, (laughs) I tell you, I'm not a well person. So, (laughs) but, um... What I got from that, when, you know, going through that process yet again, it was very much like when I stopped, actually it was more difficult than when I gave up the sugar. It literally was like a moment to moment, and I went to OA meetings, sometimes I go to three meetings a day, and I would go to AA meetings, which I definitely recommend if you've never been to an open AA meeting, it's a good way to get a good juiced program. You know, it's just phenomenal, the, the things that happen when I'm willing to let go of something that I've got this death grip on, you know, and that's me trying to hold on to something. So I'm guessing my time is up here. Okay, so <laughs> so I would just wrap up by saying this. I am grateful today for the moments that I have and the moments that I have to be present, and this program really works if you work it. So thank you for letting me share